everybody, welcome to a brand new All Access interview. I'm Kai Savas here, and I'm sitting here with the group uh, Sun Lux. We got Ryan Lott, Ian Chang, and Rafiq Batia. So guys, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat today. It's such an honor. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for so to, to start off, you know, we uh, I like to ask this question. Uh, you know, I, I do a lot of interviews and I like to start off with this question. It's a simple question, but might have some grander aspects to it. And you can answer it however way you see fit. Um, so to we'll start, we'll, we'll kick off with Ryan. So as a human, as a, as a storyteller, as a musician, as an artist, what does music mean to you? Whatever you make sense of, of that question. <laughs> it's like, it's like, uh, you know, as a human being, what does air mean to you? Yeah, it's kind of like that Yeah. for me. It's like, you know, it's, 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 it's an occupation. Um, and I think that that's the lens through which we are, you know, looking um, as we do this interview. Um, right? Like that's yeah, absolutely you know, why we're talking. Um, but the beauty is that um, I am exceptionally blessed and lucky to say that the thing that I need to survive, the air that I breathe and the thing that is um, essential um, for me is, is also my occupation. Yeah. Um, I, it's it's impossible to express you know um, a definition that that's that's adequate, and no, I'm not absolutely. trying to be flowery and you know lofty. Um, yeah, it is. It's just an inherently impossible question. No, oh, absolutely, I get that completely. Uh, Rafiq, how about you? What do, what do you take? Is that that question? How do you take that? <laughs> it's hard to follow Ryan's answer because it resonates very closely but i think there's um there's an aspect to what music means to me that's pretty inextricably linked from community um mm. and um that aspect of it um you know that long before there was any air that I was here to breathe through my lungs, you know, like that there have been all of these people who have had this experience of life where um, making things and expressing humanity through sound is like just as important and urgent, you know, as yeah. an occupation for them in their time here, you know, and that like, everything that I know about like how the world can sound like and the many ways in which like sound can be organized in time you know like comes from this these many lineages of people um and that when we express ideas in this medium that those are things that are like received by and like felt by and internalized by and then refracted outward by other people who are here with us or coming after us like that is a huge motivator for me and just like one of the things that I love so much about what we do is that like we're here for a short time but we're here together you know and like yeah yeah Oh, that's beautifully said. Absolutely. No, you got touching into my existential love. <laughs> Ian, how about yourself? Oh, I, I'm not following those responses. <laughs> <Too good. laughs> After Rafiq's mind expansion, like, where, yeah, I'm totally, I think everything that Ryan and Rafiq just said really resonates with me and I don't have much more to add no yeah. that's absolutely no, they, they covered a lot there um so let's start uh let's get to uh, for people who maybe don't know how you guys came together i know uh, ryan tell us the story of like how sun lux started and when did all three of you kind of come together to yeah. form kind of this uh group here uh well sun lux started as sort of just a, a a project that um emerged from it was a, it started as a solo project and uh, it it basically emerged from time that I was spending um, alone, following my own impulses creatively, 
uh, time that was especially dedicated to just doing whatever I wanted. Yeah. Um, because uh, at the time, around 2004, 2005, um, I was doing a lot of writing music for other people, writing music for dance companies, um, helping friends like produce tracks um, and mixing. Um, I'm, oh man, I haven't thought about that in a while. I used to, I used to just like mix out of my uh, attic. Um, wow, I totally hadn't thought about that in so long. Um, but there was like, you know, these times when I would just, and I didn't have any kids or anything. So there was a lot of that time where I could just like do um, whatever I wanted. And I would just go into my closet or my, you know, my closety attic and just um, do the, what, what became sort of like musical meditations. Um, and it, following in that spirit, it, it kind of became like a spiritual practice for me. And I, I started to see that the, these, these uh, pieces of music were like an outlet for me. Um, it's like, on a very deep emotional and spiritual level. Um, it was also a place where I could exercise the, this, my brain in a way that I couldn't find other outlets um, for. Mm. Um, and in particular, I was interested in reconciling my um, European classical brain um, that, that was part of my, my formal training as a musician and who I was as a, innately as a as a listener of music and i was trying to find because because they seem to be at odds in in, all, in so many ways things that would yeah. stimulate my brain wouldn't necessarily stimulate my soul and so i was trying well like i really just wanted to make music that did both um and uh so that's how that's how it started philosophically and then and eventually i, I realized i was making a record um i had not intended to sing on it because until that moment i had really done any singing um and just with through some encouragement from friends i began to use my voice um and uh and yeah then this essentially the sunlux record the first sunlux record at war with walls and mazes came about um our manager michael kaufman was there at the inception of the project because um, i uh had entered a songwriting competition that uh, someone from MySpace encouraged me to enter. That yes, MySpace. Um, <laughs> Dating us here. <laughs> I am that old. Um, and uh, he was one of the judges. Um, he, at the time, was running, he had started uh, the label Asthmatic Kitty with Supion Stevens. And um, that was kind of like the, the days of uh, Illinois and things were really blowing up. So he was uh, enlisted as a as a judge, um, and and I basically you know I won this competition, and I handed off um, a CDRW to his his wife who's a, who was also performing there as a talented songwriter, and uh, he he called me at the number at the landline number uh, written on <laughs> in Sharpie on the CDRW. <laughs> after listening to uh, the record, which at the time was 16 tracks long, um, and uh, convinced me um, to do some smart things. Among them was to not try to put out a 16 song record. Um, and he's uh, been with me ever since. Um, it, it's at, at one point, um, skipping ahead, it things were sort of clicking in a way where I could quit my day job, which was I was an ad music uh, composer or kind of like start to quit yeah, um, and uh, get out on the road properly for the first time ever. Um, but that was gonna require a band. And so I had been working with Rafiq on a number of other projects, um, a collaborative project with uh, Sufjan and Serengeti called uh, Sisyphus. Um, Rafiq plays on um, a song called Easy from the Lanterns record. He also was instrumental in um, helping me develop a sound palette for my first film score, which was called The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. And so when I wanted to form a band, I knew I, I, I knew that I wanted to reach out to Rafiq because he was uh, 
probably the most, well, I think for sure the most open-minded and um, sort of like uh, prismatic mm. um, musical mind that, that, I, that I knew. And he had this ability to formulate musical ideas um, that totally um, like inspired my, in, inspired my, it did that thing that I was just describing was at the core of Sunlux, which is that like my soul and my, um, and my brain um, are completely at peace and both happy and having a party. Um, and his music uh, that he was making for himself did that, um, but also just like working with him was so easy. <laughs> and, um, and so I leaned into him and I was like, dude, I want to form this band for the road. Um, but we need to find like maybe a couple other people, maybe a drummer. I mean, definitely a drummer, but like maybe the drummer needs to be a multi-instrumentalist. I'm not sure. And so he helped me search. Um, uh, his network of musicians was certainly more, uh, uh, had a lot more vitality than, than, than mine. Um, and a lot, he just knew a lot more musicians and I knew um, he would help, help me. And he did. He found uh, this guy, Ian Chang, uh, with whom he had done uh, only one gig before. And it was because um, uh, he, they were both like on this kind of one-off uh, show. Um, and Ian was enlisted because the drummer had to bow out. Um, and then interestingly, the drummer actually wound up in the audience at the show. I'm not sure how that, <laughs> how that worked out, but um, I thank God that he accidentally canceled um, or whatever it is, because uh, I'm not sure how this band would exist. Um, but long story short, we got on the road together. We did 22 shows in 20 days in Europe. Wow. Um, we concluded the tour, a uh, seven-day stretch, uh, seven flights, um, seven shows. And uh, we didn't hate each other at the end of it. And actually, uh, not only that, but I think we really loved each other. And um, there was a kind of chemistry on stage right away that um, that was it was it was hard won it was hard hard earned but but definitely not uh, as hard as it could have been um, and there was a kind of ease that there was a there was a creative potential and a kind of ease um, both musically and, and relationally that that really made me start to wonder damn like should Sunlux be not just like the solo project and then have a live band, but man, like I could, I can learn so much from this, this trio. I can learn so much from these guys individually. Um, they're going to make me look better because they're awesome. <laughs> and I was like thinking pretty selfishly about it, honestly. Um, but um, in the end, I think what, what, what it was, was just um, recognizing that I, um, was changing as a musician so quickly um, that I was just totally, it made me so excited because I feel like until that moment, I had always thought of myself as like one kind of musician. And yeah. when I got in the presence of these guys and active presence in, in like an, in the act of music making and performing, I felt like I could be more versions of myself than um, I had previously um, known, and that completely excited me. So um, and we wow. evolved into a trio. Um, the DNA of, of the band changed from a solo project to, or a project changed from a solo thing to a band, and um, uh, not looking back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like Rafik that and was Ian. a really long answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, that was a wonderful answer. But I want I want to hear Rafik and Ian, your your perspective. What gravitated you towards Ryan and and uh, I guess, how do you guys complement each other? What do you got? What do you feel like each person brings? And uh, you know, Ian, if you want to kick us off, what do you what what gravitated you towards the group? And and how do you guys work together in terms of like personality and style? Like a little further backstory on my end is that the first time I heard Sun Lux's music as Ryan solo project was uh, when I was tasked with doing sort of like a live percussion arrangement for a song that um, Shara Nova, who, go, who goes by My Brightest Diamond, um, is doing like something that 
involved Colin Stetson and Ryan and Sun Lux, like, and and there's this really cool track that I think all three of you put together somehow. I don't even really know. And then they were doing like a live version, and I, and I was like listening to this piece of music, and I believe Ryan produced it. I was like, what the heck is going on here? Like, this is freaking cool and really nuts and really refreshing. <laughs> And it just scratched a lot of itches for me. So um did that project. It was really fun. It was like a video project. And then um, years later, I got the call from Rafiq asking if I uh, was free to do a crazy tour. Um, and I, I already had the, the sort of touch point of the experience of hearing Ryan's music and, and um, so it was, it was like a no-brainer for me. Um, and I think that what Ryan was saying earlier definitely applies all the way around where we've, we've all learned a lot from one another and yeah. um, benefited greatly both individually and as a group. Um, and yeah, I think the main thing that I'll say about how we function is that it's very much twofold like in one sense we function the way a band functions and the way you see us on stage whenever we play is like i'm playing drums or felix got a guitar in his hand but he's playing something else altogether because all the different sounds that comes out of <laughs> out of there might as well not just be a guitar and then um the same could be said about you though <laughs> that's true and then ryan has like a keyboard you know midi controller on stage um so you know, in that way, it's like, yeah, there's a drummer, there's a guitarist, and there's like a keyboard player who sings. But in, like, if you look if beneath that surface, it's very much like we're all um, playing all roles at once. Um, yeah. But coming from, you know, different but complementary perspectives. Um, like, one thing I love about playing a band with these guys is that they're both amazing drummers, really. And, um, that makes like kind of like getting really specific about the way rhythm is expressed is, is a big part of us as a band. Um, and all three of us are producers and multi-instrumentalists, so we can all kind of um, think on all fronts when it comes to approaching our instrument. Um, and I think that has, I've, I've definitely grown to be this way because of spending time in this band. Uh, because I think beforehand I was definitely much more of just like a straight up drummer but i had other interests and yeah it's been a really nice journey and i would say it, it has now you're an oscar nominated film composer bro it paid off yeah. really well now you guys all really are well. yeah. <laughs> with um you all with are. working on this working on this score because we we were all kind of like there was so much score to make that we all really went hard on all fronts in terms of like um like it's not like I just did all the drums on the score and Rafiq did all the guitar. It's like very, we all did everything, and it was it was like really fun to just like get in there in that way. Uh, just get lost in the process. Like, yeah, absolutely. Or Rafiq, how about your perspective? How did you see these guys? What gravitated towards you towards them, and 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 brought you together? Oh man. Um, well, I think. Ian was starting to get at this a little bit in his answer, but I think both of us, you know, were a little younger than Ryan and um, we came up, you know, like listening to different music in different places. Ian grew up in Hong Kong. I grew up in North Carolina. Um, but we sort of like, when we met that one time on that one gig, we had this like, I, I drove Ian home afterwards because he needed a ride and I had a car. And we had this amazing conversation about how both of us like loved kind of approaching music from the vantage point of our instruments, but we were really interested in music that would sort of like both explode the possibilities of the instruments that we played and also just like give us more opportunities to think like people who are making music you know, like without having like an instrument as a vantage point, you know, like especially people yeah. who are working with like electronic mediums and like uh, using sort of like a sculptural approach to to sound and stuff like that. But I think one thing that like 
the three of us all bonded over from the very beginning is like that thing where you put on a recording of somebody and you hear like a microsecond of it and you're like that's nina simone or that's mahalia jackson or that's john coltrane or that's mad lib or that's um flying lotus or that's you know uh scriabin or that's you know like there's just like yeah there's a thing that people who um who are so uh personal and like it's not just about like oh that person like developed this sound or this is new fangled or innovative or something like that but it's that person is so personal and honest in their approach and made cared so much about every little micro decision that went into the way that that music sounds that it can't help but be recognizable in the same way that if I see your face, I'm like, oh, that's you, you know? Um, it's like a fingerprint. Um, yeah. And that was a thing that, as it turns out, is like very pertinent to like why we were asked to score this movie and what was required of, you know, the music in this movie, which is that there are many, 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 many different universes, right? And um, from the very first conversation we had with Daniels, they were like, we need all of these to like sound distinctive enough when you're in them that like the audience knows where they are in the story because like we can't just do that with like lighting or camera work or like backdrops, you know, like it's like gotta be the sound has has to help us know yeah. where we are in the story. Um, and so they use the analogy in that first conversation of like almost like flipping through channels on TV or something and having things be like completely uncorrelated. But over time, those things would need to like cohere and be reconciled into something that would like help deliver the like emotional kind of punch of the story. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing that I really relate to Ryan and Ian about um, is sort of this idea you know for me like i grew up in an immigrant family in north carolina and that was like it was an experience of like difference and of trying to find um some kind of identity or way of expressing identity that felt um you know like that felt like me like that felt the way that i felt on the inside yeah. and um music was like an early like these kinds of musicians specifically that I'm talking about where you like you know you know immediately that it's them like that was one of the things that both helped me through that experience and also like modeled what it means to like be hybrid or be um you know to articulate like a version of yourself that can contain all of these different things where they're all you know sort of interwoven with each other you know um but that doesn't necessarily have to come as the product of that experience you know and I think there are a lot of musicians that have achieved that in different ways and I think that like um despite Ryan and Ian and I all sort of having different interests and different music that resonated with us growing up and stuff like that like we all love and are deeply inspired by and indebted to artists who have done that you know yeah yeah um and so like the hybridizing of all of the things was like has long been appealing to us and it's one of the reasons why daniels came to us in the first place yeah so let's talk about yeah you mentioned kind of how daniels approached you that you get two daniels who you know who are fantastic filmmakers i mean and they they started you know and their music videos have always been distinctive and then you know their features are just in a completely different realm i mean of creativity and story and emotion and everything so talk to me about those first conversations and you kind of and Rafiki kind of talked about what the score needed a little bit but what were when did you guys come onto the project was it right from the script phase did you have something to look at at first or when 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 did when did this start when did this kind of uh you know working relationship start at what point in in the process I don't know whoever wants to jump in. But. <laughs> I can I can take this one. Um, yeah, it started. Um, yeah, they called us, and the first thing we got was a script, and we hopped on like a Facetime call with them, 
and we were actually working on three-part record called Tomorrow's around that time, at the same time when we got the script. And there's actually a lot of bleed between those records and the score, actually. But um, we read the script. It's, you know, if that script got made into the movie, it probably would have been four hours long. <laughs> and it's like even more bonkers in some some ways than the movie is. Um, it has more universes and more kind of side side stories and stuff. So I think it was we had a lot of fun reading the scripts. We were all sort of puzzled by how this could be possibly be made. Um, uh, but yeah, we had the luxury of being in on in a much earlier phase than I think is typical um, when a composer is engaged on a project. So yeah, very much. Uh, we had the opportunity to kind of make some music um, to send to Daniels, you know, and we had the opportunity to be on set for one day before all shooting got shut down with COVID. Um, they were four days away from finishing shooting. So they were really pretty lucky, actually, in the grand scheme of things. Um, wow. But it, it did get stalled, which gave us the luxury actually, of dude, more I think, time on it. What? I think they, they only had one day left. It was just one day? I guess. Yeah. yeah. So they, yeah, they're they're pretty pretty lucky in a lot of ways, and they were able to do. Uh, they they had like one day after, mm -hmm. um, we were there, and then they had one day after that that they were scheduled, um, that they couldn't do. Mm -hmm. Um, it might have taken them four days of shooting with skeleton crews and stuff later on, like yeah, in the middle be... middle of the pandemic. But um, yeah, like they, if they had if they had one more day, they would have like you know banged it all out. <laughs> yeah. Wow, crazy. that's crazy um, timing. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad they did it though. You know, yeah, like in it, you know, given what it, the impact it had on us, you know. Um, yeah, in a lot of ways, the pandemic gave us the amount of time that I think scoring this film required <laughs> to really kind of do it justice in the way that we would have wanted to. Uh, so uh, in a lot of ways, like slowed production schedules was a, a blessing creatively for us. Um, and there was so much trust in the process in terms of like letting us kind of do our thing while still directing us beautifully. Um, but like, yeah, they're never like telling us to be less weird or anything like that. Yeah, was there like talk to me like, oh, did they have a vision for the music at all or they just really loved your style and and your sound and were like you guys go do you and show us what you know works i'm curious what the daniels have like specific like oh I, was there a temp was there anything like we well, got to follow this kind of style or something did they use your other albums as temps i'm curious if there was like already if they had ideas in mind for music they used some stuff that we made as temps so that was fantastic and then they yeah. used some of our older material as temp as well as a lot of other things um and they had some very specific ideas creatively um conceptually things that we would have never thought of so for example using claire de lune as the theme for deidre's character yeah even when she first appears that was like a scary kind of like almost monster like uh you know wrestler uh villain um it's it like so it was something that on paper we we're like this does not make sense but like when we we're like wait doing... one of the film's primary antagonists you want us to use like one of the most like romantic and supple pieces of music ever yeah. composed yeah. okay so there's that and then also they had a very specific vision for the chinese folk song that we used um that for the opera universe yes. for evelyn uh, michelle yo's character and the way that was going to be sort of like presented traditionally at first um and then gets kind of like remixed was the word that they kept using they're like yeah we want you to remix this like chinese folk song as like this fight progresses and intensifies and we're like that sounds cool uh, <laughs> and and also you know as aside from like these sort of major concepts that they came in knowing they they really were very sensitive in in guiding us in how to kind of like um really have the music support the film in the best possible way and have everything kind of dance together um you know they're they're very sensitive to pacing hmm. and momentum and there's so many big moments in this movie so a big thing that they did too was just like okay like you know maybe this cue 
should be less intense so that like it still saves headroom for some other cues. So there's a lot of big picture kind of direction as well. Um, and they both like, they speak the language of music. Um, and, you know, as directors that have worked on a lot of music videos, I think this like comes with the territory and they both play some instruments and actually play some instruments on the score too. Um, oh, wow. That's yeah, awesome. Daniel, Daniel Kwan plays like a, a really messed up sounding 2001 space odyssey burr, 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 for the hot dog uh universe with the apes um yep yeah yeah the, the recreation of that scene he did he did that on trumpet and it's daniel standard's voice for the barbershop quartet in, oh really uh, chinese new year celebration when they're going like mm. like it's very brief but like that's actually daniel standard's voice um, and he also wrote lyrics to hot dog hands musical and all sorts of things. So they're they're very kind of involved, but at the same time treated us in very much a way of like they're like we want you to do you as well. And it was a really uh, beautiful balance. I, I told them that they could be music producers, kind of like in the way that Rick Rubin is a music producer, like that they wanted to. So. <laughs> yeah, according to Rick Rubin. Anybody. According to Rick Rubin. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but um, Get uh, <laughs> i mean it's just what he's you know like no, there I are know. a million white men out there that can be just <laughs> like me <laughs> so what yeah. was this what was the starting point of the score like where did you guys look for that first note for that first like like <laughs> moment of like like what was there a, a cut of the film did you start just writing the scenes as they were filmed was there a first kind of rough cut that you kind of played around we with had an, we, we had an extremely important initial task um wait real quick i just have to hop like i have to disappear for one second and get sure. something out of the oven but go ahead with this answer because this is <laughs> okay. a great one. Be right back. yeah all right um it's he has to get a hot dog casserole out of the oven um <laughs> so uh okay so in addition so so remember we were enlisted really really early in the process wasn't even right. cast yet right um so we had we actually had an incredible um opportunity to infuse our big fat opinions sonically into this movie in a way that it would shape its development and i think that that is extremely rare Very, and extremely yeah. rare privilege um and it's like um so so that was like our first, that wasn't really, we weren't really tasked with that, but we were just so excited we jumped on it. Our first task we received from on high was, um, okay guys, we need to write um, the hot dog musical song. Um, and we're like, okay, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, insane things happening in the score or in the script. Um, remind us exactly what that is. And so, you know, okay, so you know, on TV we see the there's musical playing. You know, it's a, it's like a it's like a made for TV kind of musical, um, and it's like a courtship song, right? Uh, but they but it's from the universe where they all have they have hot dogs for fingers, and um, so you know the hot dogs are kind of part of the mating ritual, and um, we're like, oh yeah, yeah, of course, obviously, you know, standard uh, movie score stuff, um, and so. Initially, we were like, okay, this is the weirdest. So we have to write a song that they're singing on camera, right? So that's why we had to do it in advance. Yeah. Um, so it was pre-score and it was like, let's, let's, and, and, you know, Shiner's like, this is, this is kind of what we're thinking for the lyrics and, you know, but they're so open-handed. They were like, yeah. oh, pun intended. Um, they, you know, they didn't, it wasn't like, in, like prescriptive, it, but it was like, you know, this is the zone of the kind of humor that we're going for. Um, but it has to be like so earnest and completely, you know, and there's going to be two versions of this song, you know, one that's for the hot dog universe, hot dog hands universe, and the one that's not. Long story short, um, of all the inroads into this multiversal score, uh, like this, this was our, <laughs> our starting point. I mean, um, which actually proved to be fitting because why not uh, start, you know, um, you know, why not kick off with a, a good dose of absurdity? Yeah. But, but also emotional earnest uh, expression, you know, it's like it kind yeah. of actually was a perfect starting point. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so we wrote the song and um, weirdly, uh, it was, um, you know, they kind of just loved it right out of the gate. It was like, yeah, this is great. Um, can you make an extended version in case there's a dance sequence? <laughs> uh, which we did. And um, yeah, and uh, that was one of the reasons why we showed up on set that day because that was the day that they shot a number of scenes. Um, it was, uh, and one that was one of them. So we went to, wow. to sort of coach the singers and oversee the, you know, oversee the shoot. That's amazing. So but fun. it's, the the, the the movie itself as i mean as if, if anyone who hasn't seen it who's listening to this I, if it sounds like a crazy thing like of all you know these multiverses it's actually so i think the core of the story is so simple to follow that like you never get confused about what's happening even though the visuals can be so overwhelming and just so amazing because they're just so creative and a lot of it is just you know the the way that they use visual effects is just feels everything still feels tangible and practical it doesn't feel cgi mm. like mess or anything like that and um and you and the score to me finds this flow and it kind of creates and i know how you mentioned earlier how the daniels wanted the score to kind of take you from universe to universe and stuff like that and it does feel like almost like a companion for the audience where it feels like it's giving you a little hug and just moving you through like all of this and i kind of for me like the first act you know in the in the irs office a lot of percussion you know a lot because of the fight scenes and stuff and then when the emotional core comes out and you feel this kind of warmth and this flutter and this heart i'm curious for you guys what was was it finding the flow of the film difficult was it a challenge to kind of be kind of become the central backbone of the movie because you do kind of carry the characters through this journey and then of course you get to the climax which is the you know the bagel staircase you know which is just like and i'm just pouring tears at that point but like <laughs> i'm i'm just curious how you move this score through this whole whatever this whatever this movie if you want to describe it as you know it just it encompasses everything love and relationships and parents and kids and generations and and you know i mean love hate anger all this stuff and it somehow all comes together this beautiful you know moment in these beautiful flows i'm curious was it a challenge was it right there on the when you saw it was it easy to follow or was it a, a discovery process for you guys <laughs> i mean it was absolutely a challenge and we are so grateful that we had the elongated time horizon of a pandemic to like really give it the attention and care that it deserved because yeah i think a lot of things about this movie would have been very different if we had not had that extended sort of runway not just in the music but just everything you know mm. um i think we had a few really critical advantages one was Daniels and their level of like insane thoroughness you know like even the most seemingly ridiculous ideas in this film are like backed up by you know um like they belie a like extreme rigor that's so inspiring to all three mm -hmm. of us you know and um so even though there were a million things to do and our attention was divided and there was a lot of divide and conquer and just sort of like, okay, like what can we do that works here? And you'll notice that like a lot of the music is actually like super tightly scored to picture, which is not yes. in vogue right now. Um, but we like, that's absolutely what this film needed. And um, we feel really proud of how we were able to do that. But that also draws your brain into this like very microsecond sort of detail kind of dancing around sound design and voiceover and all this stuff and so to like really be able to zoom out of that and look at the big picture and like how are we handling all the momentum and stuff it's like what ian was talking about like we had daniels's um sort of mindfulness of that big picture to help um steer us gently along the right direction but we also had a strategy that i think proved to be really useful um which is that like you know as i was kind of alluding to earlier like one of the first things we discussed is like okay universes should sound a certain way mm -hmm. so we have all these universes and they all have their own sort of like sonic identity and that's not really like a, a thematic thing it's more of just like how it feels and sounds and the right. texture which your brain can process faster than you could express a melody you know what i mean so it was necessary that that lead from like sort of like precognitive level 
quickness of like this is what it sounds like this is what it yeah. sort of like feels like in this universe so those like if you think about the score as like something you make on a loom you know like those are like the vertical threads mm. and then we had melodic themes um which again was something that like daniels were saying right out front where like this needs to be emotional and you know like probably needs melodies like melodic score and the melodies could be expressed in the clothing of all these different universes so like yeah. you know like we were talking about claire de lune for example like it can yeah. be menacing in the like irs like post-apocalyptic you know sort of sound world and then it can be like this like clunky kind of thuddy piano sound where jamie lee curtis is playing it with her feet you know like yeah um all these themes though were like describing relationships and sort of like they were less of like a character focused thing and more of a, a sort of way of like starting to weave together all of those universes mm. um and i don't know that that's something that we like super premeditated in fact i don't feel like it is but it did end up meaning that we had both tools for differentiation and tools for unification of the sort of components of what we were making so it was like to differentiate like lean harder into like the way that something like sounds and feels as a general principle and then to unify like thread seemingly disparate things together with these sort of like melodic kind of um unifiers you know yeah i mean it all it all because yeah you mentioned how everything is supposed to be kind of distinct for each universe but there's also this through line that carried for me at least carried me through where it it helps make everything seamless in a way where it, it, it even though if you're jumping around uh and the editing on this movie is just on another level i can't imagine like how they i mean the match cuts from like just jumping around and and all these i mean i can't even imagine looking at that timeline like if, if you think about if you exactly. think about the forethought that had to go into it um yeah i like it's yeah it, you know rafiq said the word i just like want to underline it um rigor yeah. um you know it's it, it cannot be it's it's so easy to uh to forget like in the midst of all of this this what we will you know be discovering what the world will be discovering about these two absolutely goofy wonderfully funny carefree guys like it'll, it would be easy to forget like if you're not careful just how rigorous they um they are um yeah. like i mean th this this movie um together with paul rogers so yeah details. paul rogers yeah. the editor paul rogers. um yeah and there's like there's just like such a kind of a precision um and a, a specificity and a craft that is like i'm so we're so proud to be adjacent to um and learn from um yeah and you know uh it's 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 like Rafiq said, like so much of this movie that really takes you in belies the rigor it took to uh, to to make it. And I and I think that's the real magic, you know, is that is that um, the two uh, the two don't um, uh, get in each other's way. And so, yeah. which I think, in, in, for 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 a lot of films, that that is kind of the thing. Is that like there's a kind of yeah, you know, they, they kind of don't really help each other in some ways. And I think in this in this film, it's just like, like, um, gosh, like, I just, I mean, even even watching it, um, in finally, like watching it in the big screen as a premiere, um, even after seeing it, like on our, you know, computer monitors for years, yeah, <laughs> um, or at that, at that point, like a year and a half, you know, um, like seeing things and realizing like for the first time, you know, these like realizing, wait, actually, how did they do that? <laughs> you know, like, or or wow, like 
they had to think about that in advance. I never thought about that, you know, I had so many things like that. And every single time, like, I've seen it on a big screen, I, I have that, I have so many thoughts like that. I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe I never even asked them about that. Like, I, I want to know how they did that. You know? It's it, it's mind blowing to me because I was watching some, they did some Vanity Fair piece and they were talking about the visual effects and it was just like, oh, it's just like us two and like three other guys, like yeah. during pandemic, like doing five, like after effects. I think it was five guys plus yeah. two of them. Yeah. And I'm just like, are you kidding yeah. me? This looks better than most like superhero movies that come you out do today. A lot like, of, it's a lot of practical effects. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, and honestly, dude, like we lived with Shiner for like two weeks um, when we were in the mix stage, um, uh, which the film took a long time to make. Yeah. Um, and we, uh, so we all just stayed at Shiner's house and uh, like just watching him get up early um, and like in addition to like, preparing breakfast for us, um, sitting at his like very broken laptop, um, interfacing with a number of departments about details and, and with Quan about like, you know, dividing and conquering, but also conferring about certain things and like literally watching him pull in like the effects treatments and stuff. And then like on that very broken laptop, like making adjustments and like, <laughs> tweaking faders and like saying like yeah it should be more like this right and then like pushing it off to Quan for review it's like like just that kind of like like hands-on um yeah. Yeah. but but even like kind of doing it in, in stride um so so admirable um and all the while being like a, a gracious host um like um who is this guy <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But I was telling, yeah, I was saying before we started recording how this movie really kind of, you know, I went to film school. I grew up, you know, watching, the, you know, the films of, you know, the 70s and 80s and 90s, which a lot of auteur filmmakers, you know, got to. And I are in this kind of state where the industry is a little bit more, you know, corporate and, you know, IP focused and franchise focused. And I'm just, I was saying that this movie really reawakened my love of cinema and just like made me feel so hopeful for the future and of storytellers and, and, you know, and just, different story different perspectives and different everything and the fact that you can make something like this and just you know emotionally like wallop you in a way but also bring you up and lift you up too it was just it was i mean fantastic and i think your score had so much to do with that and um i want to talk about that end scene that that build that crazy you know you know up the stairs to the to the bagel thing i mean that must have been just a, a team effort of maybe music editors and stuff like that really kind of and sound editing and because you're cutting all these you know different things as she's fixing everybody and then she gets to you're my daughter i'm not letting go like what was it like working on that and making sure that the music that momentum just kept building and building and building and then when you finally cut to the parking lot it's just like you know and it cuts and it works so well. I'm curious what for your guys what the process was working on that kind of climactic scene. Oh yeah. That one was definitely one of the biggest challenges. Um in the temp when they handed it off to us, they actually had a different Sunluck song, Dream State, uh, which has multiple versions uh of the same song that's released. So they like use different versions, you know, for like the the scene with the 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 world of the raccoon you know being taken yeah. away um and walking up the stairs and like the sort of like intensity but then the front half of it was like all like birdman temp score and it was just like this like mishmash of like stuff where it was just like oh damn like this is gonna be hard <laughs> to kind of like <laughs> make work um but we we ended up finding like a good through line with um a piece of music that ended up on um or tomorrow's records called um come recover uh and there's some a uh, decent amount of shared dna uh for like the main sort of backbone yeah um for that scene and having like an idea that feels like it comes more from like a song world can really help like um gets you a lot of mileage on like a long scene like that sometimes you know i don't know maybe yeah. ryan you you should speak on this because you really like crafted this section but i don't know if you you relate to like what i'm saying right now where it's like sometimes if something feels like it's songish there's like some somehow it like gives you extra mileage and and i don't know uh, i don't know if that like makes any sense to you but um, i feel like i feel like it, we yeah. unlocked something when we found 
that that song worked really well with this scene. Yeah, I had this feeling that like <clears throat> it was a broad scene, right? So it was like um, long. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's long. real long. It's like eight minutes or something, uh, eight and a half minutes maybe. Um, and that does not include, I think it's 10 minutes total, including about a minute and a half for a different, uh, a, a new, a total uh, ground up reinvention of another Sunlock song uh, called Your Day Will Come off our record Bones. Um, but Tom Recover was a good backbone because for this scene because it's a long scene and the ch it has like chapters that are sort of wide. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of like fine, uh, fine, fine action um, and like tight, quick things happening. So it needed to be like something that was both fast and slow at the same time. So the mm -hmm. harmonic, the harmonic progression is very broad and, and takes its time, and the chords just like uh, emerge slowly. But then, but there's this bubbling momentum throughout, um, and it, it just pr proved to be like a good vehicle for doing all of the very very specific uh, scoring that we needed to do. Um, and then there's. Um, you know, Ian isn't giving himself enough credit um, at the top. That staircase is is mostly his is actually mostly his material with with just the, the chord progression kind of like zapping in to articulate itself at very specific moments. But there's a lot of very, very like tightly scored action when she's like she's healing people through empathy, like one by one she's fighting. Um, and, and a lot of that like surgical um, problem solving and stuff uh, is 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 was Ian's handiwork, um, and then as it develops, it's, it was it was more um, uh, you know become more of a song, and that and that was like kind of more mm -hmm. my my department. Um, but fortunately, as you said, you know we we did have an army of music editors. No, actually. No, we, we didn't did. have any music editors. <laughs> no music editors. No, we 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 did uh, at different points in the process. We uh we had different music editors um See, at the very beginning for a to, long time we didn't have a music editor yeah wow what happened to us is like because there was no horizon so music editors are like paid weekly right yeah but there was no so there's there's no horizon for for this movie because it was a pandemic and like nobody knew when it was gonna you know there was nothing so they can't hire a music editor yeah because they don't know for how long they're gonna so they just never did <laughs> And then it became a, a, to a point where we were looking at 100 cues, over 100 cues, and a spreadsheet that was like, we had tried to cobble our, together ourselves, and it was like, you know, um, it was like, it was madness. I mean, we were doing it, but it was like, at some point, we we're like, we sort of just insisted, like, yo, we just need help. And, and yeah. was, at that point, at that point, we did... Um, you know, we did finally get uh, a music editor involved, but only she could, only she had like, was it like three weeks or something? Um, and she, and Catherine um, Miller uh, was, was amazing. And then it was like, oh, as soon as she stepped in, it was like, oh, I, like, it was like, this, this could have been so much easier. And she did some amazing stem edits for like some, some uh, short cues and, was was really great to work with but as far as this sequence no there was no uh there was no music editor wow um, that's crazy <laughs> um yeah uh yeah it was it was pretty nuts was there a lot of picture changes like was it were you have to conforming a lot or was it uh i mean i can't imagine it had to be because it's so when it looks like it's a finely sculpted sculpture you know you're constantly shaving a little bit more here 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 out of the exactly. piece of marble yeah. until it there finally comes into so i'm curious a lot of that. A, a lot of conforming a lot of yeah <laughs> yeah. was it was it difficult to keep the in, like the structure like from collapsing <laughs> uh it was not the most fun part of the process but it wasn't that difficult it just took time yeah I think. Yeah. yeah i think it's more of the tedious part right like yeah yeah ian had this you know ian was like he spearheaded the like so all of those fight sequences you know we all worked on but but ian really like figured it out like timing wise and developed the whole like like what tempo things should be what the feel should be the sort of like vocabulary of the percussion elements and all that stuff that was like a huge chunk of the score that that like you know changed a lot and 
and it's an action sequence, so it's all like tightly scored and all that stuff. So Ian Ian had a had his work cut out for him uh, for like really like figure all that out and yeah. um, wow. also wasn't working in the the best DAW to be uh, doing that for sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it fascinating that, that this movie like you can I mean like the the Rakuku the Rakukui scene like I mean just like it starts off as a joke I mean I grew up with I'm a second generation you know my parent my dad Turkish my mom Polish so seeing that kind of captured like oh yeah your parents are going to mispronounce a lot of things and stuff like that as a joke and then later you have this most emotional like heartbreaking scene where I'm crying over this ridiculous kind of looking <laughs> puppet voiced by Randy Newman of all people exactly <laughs> uh and i'm just like oh my god like this is tearing my heart out and it's it's built off this joke but spawned in this universe and and so i'm curious out of all all the universes that you guys got to work in what was your favorite which one did you like living in and kind of playing in sonically <laughs> um, opera universe for me um, opera universe yeah that was that was fun to work with that source material of chinese folk song and kind of uh reinvent it is is really really fun and really meaningful for me to do absolutely it's really hard to narrow it down there are so many so many good ones but um i think one of my favorite ones was actually the like um evelyn all at once is what we called it like it, yeah. it was like where she's screaming and it's like cutting rapid fire through all the different universes that she's yeah her brain has like fragmented into um that was that was a really fun one um because i feel like a lot of us can empathize with that feeling you know absolutely um, yeah and and yeah it was like it was also an opportunity for like the score to get like weirdly like almost like like extremely serious you know like yeah yeah yeah. my like reference points for um the like guitar stuff on that section were like things that are like you know like john coltrane and stuff like that but like really like hits you in the chest and makes you think about mortality and stuff you know like it's like (laughs) kind of like a moment where like the score somehow in the middle of all that ridiculousness like gets like really intensely like spiritual <laughs> so no there's this huge existential part of the film and that's what like i resonated with and the fact that you have like a scene where there's a i mean even my wife spotted on jamie Cur- Lily curtis desk like those are butt plugs and i'm like well wait yeah. till you see what happens later <laughs> like i already had seen it in theaters <laughs> I saw it in theaters. We were watching at home with my wife, and nice. <laughs> and then you have something like that where it's like it's just so Daniels, and then later you're you're weeping and crying, or you're just so, you know you know you're just so invested in these characters, and it is serious, and it is you know her backstory growing up and her relation with her father. I thought was you know so touching. So yeah, absolutely. I think it just to me just the the juxtaposing of like something like that how how this film works is crazy to me, but it works. <laughs> it's very it's at the crux of. Daniel's obsession, I think, um, yeah, is, you know, with uh, with Swiss Army Man, the whole question that began that was like, could we make a movie about like a farting, farting corpse, corpse <laughs> that is like that might make you like cry at the end, um, yeah, that like the fart is like a beautiful thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, how about you? Is there a universe that you loved? Um. I'd rather just like point out something that that was truly magical about this movie for for me personally, um, which is that you know I've always felt like rather chameleonic as a as a musician. Um, you know, I I talked about how at the at the outset of the Sunlux project, you know, there was this primal need to reconcile things that inside of me that seemed like they didn't belong together, but I knew that they could. Um, This is um, the first time that I've ever worked on something that I feel like I could be as many versions of myself as I wanted to be. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, 
And, you know, like, and, that's and more. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And more, and yeah. more, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and, and how, you know, how, you know, it's going to be hard not to vet against this experience everything else, you know, and, and right. we shouldn't, right? We need to take everything on its own terms and everything. So, but just to like pause and recognize how lucky we are that that is true of this project, um, I think is just really important, you know. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so thankful to the Daniels for creating that that um, opportunity uh, to be so many versions of myself, um, and for me to be able to do it with my with my brothers. It's, yeah, that's awesome. Well, before uh, before we, I mean, it, it's just a beautiful film, and anyone who has not seen it, please see it. Like, check it out. It's so turn the volume up. You know, get get that subwoofer going. It's, you know, I, I watched it. I might have a Dolby Atmos system at home. So it's, even though I saw it at the, <laughs> at the AFI wow. Silver, yeah, I have my, I am, I'm a, I used to be a projectionist. Um, <laughs> Invite me over. <laughs> yeah. Come on over. I got, I got nice speakers set up here. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried about going, we have to move back to LA. We're going to give up our, you know, our house here, probably move yeah. back to an apartment. So I can't really like let the subwoofer sing anymore. But, <laughs> but before we wrap up, I, um, I want to touch upon uh, the rock scene, which, uh, of course, is one of the most significant scenes in the, in the whole thing. And everyone talked about the rock scene. And there, there's, there, before it kind of moves into the climax, into the big build, it kind of starts at the tail end of that scene. But I'm curious, was there any point in the process where there was music in that scene? Or was it always meant to be kind of scoreless and just just the air, sound of the air? Always, 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 always air. And it was like very, like that montage scene where it's like firing through all the different universes was like yeah. right before that part um and at least as far as i recall like their whole thing was like that ramp up was like a part of the vision from the beginning you know yeah. like that it, it should like almost reach peak craziness right before that drop and then we would have like this runway for like the next you know right um, but there is music that creeps in during the rock scene and yes. that's actually when we mentioned that uh Quan and Shiner like worked on stuff for the score like that's one of the things that Daniel Quan actually worked on and he used oh. like um excerpts of like other things we had you know ingredients we had made and like you know what it was, dude. Slowed it way down, right? Or you know what it was, dude. Yeah. It was one of the original um, piano solo things, piano right? theme yeah. exploration things that I sent over. That I think was probably an MP3, <laughs> and and he just had the insight that everything slows down, right? Everything slows down, but we still hear this like this. It's it's this abstracted um time is a race thing but it's like the emotional thematic aspect is still there like it was kind of like genius for him to be like what if i just pulled in this mp3 and slowed it way down yeah and it's like it's ridiculous that it would be an mp3 but it actually like is perfect because like the lossiness kind of sounds like yes. like it's like wind mm -hmm. you know like it's like yeah kind of amazing um that's yeah, amazing. they're like oh do you want to replace that and we're like no, no that's, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing how open-handed they were like they were like totally like you know like we don't it doesn't need to be this like you know like i can do this or whatever like i, I mean I, li I like it but you know um and they were like no this is perfect oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's amazing and then one other uh thing that i, I want to mention before we wrap up is the, the i love you piece that i love you i love you i love you like is it just me or maybe just my ear catching something? I don't know if it's intentional, but it seems like there's like a, a kind of descending piano at the end uh, in the Claire de Lune, which almost feels like it it's part like mimicking it in a way. Is that true at all? Or am I just crazy? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, yes, that is true. This this is because it because it happens when when um Deidre is uh doing her like diving swan slow-mo kick, it is yeah. 
it should be her theme, which is from Claire de Lune. And it's, I was thinking like, okay, there's that descending piano, but and rather than doing it, it would, so it's like as she descends would be cool. Yeah. But rather than just doing it there uh, as piano, like since uh, Evelyn is trying to muster the strength to uh, earnestly confess yeah, her love, love for yeah. her, um, it should be like it, it, like angels, like uh, or like voices from the multiverse, like trying to encourage her in the same way that, that she's trying to get help through the Bluetooth. You know, so it's so it's I love you, I love you, I love you. But it's a battle, and she's like this there's a lamb, and it's like, um, or she's like about to be like she she's like the one, the chosen one, or whatever, and, yeah. and she's out to kill her. So I was like, that kind of has a right of spring vibes to me. So like, so I used the the rhythmic structure of that like iconic section of right, right of spring, but I, I kind of superimposed it on that descending piano line and then made a choral arrangement for it. And, you know, oh. Ryan's Standard. very glad you asked about that section. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very psyched about that, that little thing. And then I it was it. so beautiful. It's awesome. yeah. uh, the two, the two singers, Hannah Ben and Nina Moffat, who sang the choral parts for that. It was so beautiful that we had to like excerpt that and just use their um, voice at the end of the credits. Yeah. The final thing that happens is we hear they're just their voices and it's just the I love you, I love you, I love you. And we and we we proposed that to Daniels and, and Shiner said, uh, or one of them said, um, that's a perfect idea. I love you should be the last statement of the film. Yeah, that's perfect. You know, and, and that's that's what they did. So they, they well, did it. and so you can you can hear that on the soundtrack as well. Well, guys, I I love you guys for for making the. We'll end it with that. I love you guys for making this this score. I love the Daniels for putting this film together, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to to break it down with me. I know we've been talking for a bit, and you guys you guys are busy, but thank you for all the insight you guys have provided. It's been such a such a great honor, and congrats yeah. uh, congrats with the Oscar nomination and best of luck at the ceremony. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right, guys.